Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, let me ask you this. Like, how do you get into a group? Like, are there standards of participation? Are there standards of membership? Do you, you know, do you have to prove something about yourself or do something in order to qualify, be admitted? When was the last time you had to, you know, or you tried to join a group and you were like, oh, well, this is what this group requires in order for me to be a part of it. Well, Sweden has now successfully uh, achieved all of the hurdles necessary to become a member of NATO. And that last hurdle was that Turkey, a member of NATO, um, has dropped its months-long opposition uh, to Sweden's inclusion in NATO. And so that's happening, and that is big news. So Sweden and Finland um, have both heavily invested in not only their own defense, but uh, it, it in the defense of others around them. They have allowed for the transport of troops and equipment across their borders. Um, Finland shares Europe's uh, longest border with Russia. Um, and so the inclusion of Finland into NATO would have seen would have seemed to, to be the bigger issue. But it was actually Sweden's inclusion in NATO that Turkey um, chose to block for a period of time. Turkey wants to be in the EU, um, but, you know, let's just be fair. Turkey wants to play all sides of everything. Like, that's sort of their MO. Um, so there you go. That is happening um, on the global front. On, um, on, on a different kind of conversation, though, about how you get into a group or who counts as what. You know, we've been having this conversation as Christians in the culture for some period of time. Um, people who self-identify as Christians, but they're not actually participating in the active life of a community of believers, which we would call a church. They're not actively uh, living in ways that are aligned with God's character in ways as revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Um, They're not evangelistic in terms of seeking to make other disciples And that's, you know, I would say that's really the linchpin here. So if you are not actively seeking to make other disciples, then are you really a Christian? If the Great Commission is to go and make disciples, then if you're not actively discipling other people, if you're not actively seeking to make other disciples, are you a disciple? Like that, that's a legit question. That's a legit question to ask. So I come around to this um, this morning, and I will seek to brief you in on this as quickly as I can. This has to do with the Roman Catholic Church and what the current Pope is um, is up to. So back in 2019, and whether or not we talked about it then, I don't know, because I'm not sure that it was, you know, sometimes when something's happening in real time, 
you can't really tell. Is this super duper important? But now in hindsight, I can say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, this was important. So in 2019, the Pope signed a document called, um, uh, it, well, he signed it in Abu Dhabi. I'm not actually sure what the document itself is called. But in it, by the way, he signed it along with an imam, um, with a with a Muslim imam. And in it, the Pope proclaimed, quote, pluralism and the diversity of religions, color, sex, race, and language are willed by God in his wisdom through which he created human beings. Now, first of all, that's a direct contradiction of Scripture. It, pluralism and diversity of religions is actually not um, like willed by God in his wisdom. That, that is not what Scripture says. Um, it's also a contradiction of Catholic teaching. And so this desire of the current pope to elevate unity, uh, diversity, inclusivity above evangelism specifically is a problem. And the pope is now actively engaged in a process of ensuring that his viewpoint on this is going to persist into the future beyond his service as pope. So here's what's happening in real time. Pope Francis has named 21 new cardinals. He's announced his intention to confirm them as members of the College of Cardinals in September. 18 of them will be eligible to vote in the next conclave, which means he's basically going to ensure that his guys are going to choose the next pope. He's working to institutionalize his own progressive um, revolution. So why does that matter? Because the pope actually does wield a lot of power around the world. The Roman Catholic Church is huge globally. Um, And one of the people who Pope Francis has chosen to serve as a cardinal um, is named Bishop Aguiar. And he is, by the way, involved in World Youth Day. Now, World Youth Day is coming up um, August 1st through the 6th. I know that's not just a day, but it, it, it's called World Youth Day, and it's a, it's a big event. It's a big global event. It's going to be held in Lisbon, Portugal this year, August 1st through the 6th. And this bishop, Americo Aguiar, who is the head of Youth World Day and who the, the pope is now uh, named to serve as a cardinal, Here's what he said, quote, we don't want to convert the young people to Christ or to the Catholic Church or anything like that at all. Wait, what? What? did What? What? No, he says that the goal of World Youth Day is, quote, uh, to encourage young people. I don't we don't want to convert them. Um, We want to encourage them. Here we go. Um, I want it to be normal for a young Catholic Christian to say and bear witness to who they are in the same way that a young Muslim, Jew, or person of other religion, uh, to have no problem saying who they are and bearing witness to it. For a young person who has no religion to feel welcome and to perhaps not feel strange for thinking in a different way about themselves or the world. Quote, We all understand that differences are a richness and a world will be objectively better if we're capable of placing in the hearts of all young people this certainty, this certainty. Well, what's the certainty? The certainty 
is diversity and inclusivity matter more than truth. That's the certainty. Diversity and inclusivity matter more than truth. Are you kidding me? All right, marriage. Marriage is a a beautiful and a wonderful thing. It's always something, it's also something about which uh, in the world today, people are desperately, desperately confused. I will use as um, an exemplar this morning, the former mayor of New York, uh, Bill de Blasio, and his wife, Shirlane McRae, um, they have announced that they are um, that they are separating. The story of them arriving at their arriving at this decision is uh, is the lead portion of an article in The New York Times. Um, and at one point, um, you know, about two months ago, um, in what's described as another stale Saturday night of binge watching television at their Brooklyn, Brooklyn home, um, they enter into this conversation during which uh, she says to him at some point, well, I just can't fake it. And he says, um, you can th- you can tell when things are off um, and you just don't want to live that way anymore. So they go on to have this long conversation um, about how they want to live going forward. And they're going to continue to be legally married, but they're no longer going to continue living as married people. They are separating, but not getting divorced. They're going to continue to live together in um, in in their in their home where they raise their two children who are now in their 20s. But they're going to date other people. Now, let me just tell you, that is not going to work out. That's just not going to work out. Why not? Because that's not how God designed it to work. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not about the fleeting feelings. It's about two people becoming one flesh and being a new creation. Like, what God has joined together, we are not to allow to be separated. And so when they say we are separating, um, I want you to think about that. What God has joined together, let no one separate. And they say, you know what? We're going to separate. We're going to continue to um, live as, quote unquote, married people by the law, but not married in any way that actually matters. So I want to ask you today, what does the Bible say about Christian marriage? What does Jesus say about marriage? Um, And you're going to say to yourself, I don't know, does Jesus even talk about marriage? Yeah, Jesus repeats the creation narrative in talking about marriage, in talking about a man um, and a woman being joined together as one flesh. Um, And what... God has joined together, what God has knit together, no one is to separate. And he talks about it in the context of hating divorce. Does God allow for divorce? Yes, he does, but he still hates it. Um, and so, again, this is not a condemnation of those who are divorced. This is an acknowledgement and a recognition that it's, it's the heart of God, it's the desire of God that marriage would be honored among us all, that I would be as fiercely defensive of your marriage, honoring your marriage as defensively as I, or as significantly as I defend my own, that I would honor your marriage with the same ferocity that I honor my marriage, and that I would expect the same of you. So are you holding marriage in honor? 
And are you holding all marriage in honor? Because it's not about dishonoring yourself or even your spouse. It's about dishonoring God, what God has joined together. We are not in a position to separate. And marriage is not actually about us, by the way. Marriage is actually about this um, evidence in the world of something otherworldly. Paul describes it as a mystery. It is a mystery that, that God has given us that we might have a glimpse, a beginning of an understanding of what it means to be the bride of Christ. So the marriage imagery is actually eternal imagery of Christ and the church. And what we have here um, is, is an expression of it. So marriage is not something that is defined by governments or states. It's not something that can be redefined. It's not something that you can define yourself. Um, marriage is created by God on purpose and for a purpose. And God is the one who created marriage, and he intends to accomplish his will in and through it. So let me encourage you, if you're married today, to um, honor your marriage and honor the one to whom you are married. Talk about how your marriage is a is an example to the rest of the world of the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, the unity and diversity of the Trinity. Spend some time um, considering what marriage or how marriage is described in the New Testament, the order of things um, in, in Genesis and the submission in the context of grace that's talked about in First Peter and the book of Ephesians and Romans and Colossians, leading a life worthy of the gospel, First Corinthians chapter 7 and our passage for today from Ephesians chapter 4. Let's, let's think about marriage today and then let's, let's actually talk about the fact that marriage is worth defending. We have a duty to defend it as Christians, for it is an example of, um, of the way we're all going to live in eternity as members of the Bride of Christ. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we'll be right back. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. All right, what are you living on? What are you living on these days? Um, So this was a surprising find um, in the USA Today. I'm just going to confess to you, this is a surprising find to me in the USA Today. Uh, Living on a prayer, question mark, how attending worship can improve your physical and mental health. And Dr. Phil is one of the co-authors of this, along with Dr. Uh, John Wythe. Now, uh, to be clear, Dr. Phil and Dr. Wythe are um, secular people in terms of, uh, of of the crowd to which they are ordinarily speaking. Dr. Phil, you know, Dr. Phil McGraw, you know, is one of the most well-known mental health professionals in the world today. He's the host of 
one of uh, TV's top-rated programs. Um, and Dr. John Wythe, his name might be one you don't recognize, but he's the chief medical officer of WebMD. And so for Dr. Phil and Dr. White to be um, writing this in the USA Today, how attending worship can improve your physical and mental health, people who attend worship services regularly tend to have more close friendships, um, which uh, in turn lead to better health outcomes. So uh, it, it's surprising, right? Everything else being um, being taken into consideration as well. These guys are acknowledging the role of faith to um, produce positive outcomes and wellness in um, in people's lives. Here, here's part of the article. Faith, spirituality, and a sense of purpose. They all have beneficial effects on a person's emotional, physical, and mental health. This connection is well established by researchers. Belief in a divine plan for one's life fosters optimism and hope. Attitudes that boost mental and physical health. Um, spiritual practices such as prayer reduce stress and anxiety. Spirituality and faith can affect your physical health. Um, and they talk about here a study published uh, in the Journal of Health Psychology. Re- uh, religiosity, spirituality, and the frequency of prayer have all been tied uh, to lower cortisol levels, which is the key ind- indicator of stress in the human body. So they go on to talk about religious observance. They go on to talk about um, mental health and particularly friendship and social support. And and on the USA Today website, this is paired with a video about farmers. It's paired with a video about people in rural America and farmers. And there's lots of guys on combines that are being interviewed, which I totally loved. Um, and they're talking about um, how little people seem to understand the stresses of of their lives and the challenges that they face. And some of it is, you know, conversations about um, just the expense of farming and the challenge on the toll on the physical body, um, the the generational challenges as fewer and fewer people are um, are taking over family farms one generation to the next, um, the challenges that they face related to pests. And I mean, it's, it's, it, the litany is long. And if you're a farmer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but there's also this idea that, you know, these are hardy people who keep to themselves and they never share their problems with anyone else. And what is illuminated in the, the video that accompanies this piece at USA Today is the value of saying those things out loud to one another, particularly in the context of your community of faith. And so the role that the rural church plays, the role that the pastor in rural communities plays in terms of uh, allowing people to talk about the challenges and the stress that they're facing, particularly related to farming today. And I thought, wow, what a blessing. What a blessing to just be able to say out loud, I'm, I'm under a lot of stress. What I do is really hard. My body is really hurting. I don't know who's going to take over my farm. Um, and, I, and I love what I do um, but what I do is really hard. Um, and the, and the regular, and just on and on and on. It is very, I want to encourage you. I think that what I want to say in all of this is Dr. Phil wants to encourage you. And Dr. White, the chief medical officer of WebMD, want to encourage you. Um, as, as health professionals, they want to note that religion and spirituality um, are, are positive. 
and they want to, without evangelizing, they come right out and say, we're not evangelizing here, but they are saying, people ought to get back to church. People ought to get back into spiritual community. People ought to get back into relationship with a local pastor. And so if you're out of relationship with a local pastor, let me just encourage you to um, call one today. Call one up and say, hey, I see you're a pastor. I see you're in my zip code. I'd like to get together. I wouldn't worry too much about, uh, you know, uh, what denomination they're in. Um, I just call them up and say, hey, uh, you're a pastor. You live in my zip code and I want to get together. And you could be of mutual encouragement to them and they could be of mutual encouragement to you today. So uh, there you go. That's not just from Carmen. That's from Dr. Phil. Mm -hmm. There you go. All right. We're going to take a break for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, here's a little, uh, what do you call that when you, like, make an association with something? Ryan Mitchell is producing the show today. What do you call that, Ryan? Like, like when I oh, say man. fill, it, fill in the blank me. or, like, you know what I mean? Uh, like, word association. Isn't it just word association? Yeah, yeah, word association. You got it. I okay. was going to say association. When I say right. peanut butter, you say? Jelly. Yeah, exactly. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> All right, so now we're going to do a little fill in the end of this sentence or finish this sentence. So here's the beginning of the sentence. To be a man means how would you how would you uh, how would you finish that sentence if you're listening right now? To be a man means now. Here's a different way to start that sentence. To be a godly man means. Are you finishing those sentences the same way? Do you even know how to finish either one of those sentences in the cultural in the cultural context we find ourselves in today? Boys and young men in our culture, um, they don't know how to finish those sentences. And if you don't know how to finish those sentences, then you certainly don't know how to be a man or a godly man. So if you don't know what it means to be a man and you don't know what it means to be a godly man, um, that's, that's how are you going to live as a man and as a godly man, like, right? So we're going to have this conversation with Matt Fuller. The book is Reclaiming Masculinity. And we're going to talk about what it means to be a man. We're going to find an end to that sentence. More importantly, we're going to find an end to the sentence of what it means to be a godly man. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Matt Fuller, author of Reclaiming Masculinity. Matt, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, good morning or indeed afternoon from the UK to you, Carmen. Yes. Well, uh, good afternoon. Did you have tea yesterday with our president? Uh, he didn't stop by. It's a bit of a shame. <laughs> Although our church is only about five minutes from um, Buckingham Palace, actually, so pretty central, but he still didn't make the time. Wow. I wish he had, because um, you would have had many things to share with him, and it would have been great. Um, let's talk uh, today about finishing the sentence. Not only the sentence, what does it mean to be a man, but finishing the sentence, what does it mean to be a godly man? Yeah, the, um, it's, I, I, I started down this road because... Um, do you want me to answer the question straight away, or do you give you some context to it? <laughs> the, um, you... I realized most, most guys... Uh, we've got a normal age spread, I guess, at church here, but 
a couple of hundred will be in their sort of 20s uh, guys. And I thought, I realised not many of them had an answer to that sentence in, in a culture post Me Too. Uh, in the UK, we had this big thing, everyone's invited, which was a, a bit of a scandal about uh, aggressive sexual behaviour by boys in uh, high school. And people, a lot of guys being told, you should, basically, you just need to apologise for being a man. Um, and not many were willing to answer the sentence. Um, I did a, <clears throat> a quick straw poll in church one Sunday night and said, OK, hands up if you think men and women are different. And most hands went up. Um, some people were a bit nervous. Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Second question. Okay, just write down one difference. Okay, All right, anyone have who's written down something? And not half the room. Uh, and no one, of course, was. No, I mean, it's a big old room, so no one's going to stand up and say it. But the the nervousness. What am What am I allowed to say? Um, mm. Shouldn't I be saying sorry for being a man? Um, and I thought, oh, we've got a problem here because uh, if there's a vacuum, it gets filled. And uh, in a culture where men aren't sure what it means to be a man anymore, particularly on the younger end, okay, particularly sub-30s, I, I think the, the older people get, 40, 50-year-olds, they're a bit more confident. 60-year-olds, pretty happy with being a man. But the younger end, a bit nervous. Um, if you don't say something, and if you don't say something biblically, People turn elsewhere, and so you get these extraordinary characters such as an Andrew Tate with millions and millions viewing some pretty unpleasant material with, you know, 2 3% of, of, of sensible comment, but, you know, a lot of it, guy, I, 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 pretty unpleasant, misogynistic. But that's where people will turn because he's saying something. And if you don't say something, if you just all sit nervously, um, you got a problem. So uh, it once it's come, all I've done in this book is reclaiming masculinity. Why? Because I, I think it's uh, you, you shove masculinity into something like Amazon and the word toxic will come up. Toxic masculinity. Mm. You get about 40, 50 books straight away with that in the title or the subtitle. Hold on. Can we just reclaim masculinity? It's a good thing. Uh, God is a good creator. He made men. He made women. There is a good way of being a man. Let's reclaim masculinity in a biblical sense and let's not overstate it um, because then you get into trouble as well. Let's try and pull apart what the Bible says from different cultures because quite often we add a big old thick slab of cultural veneer on top and say that's you have to be like this to be a man. Um, Let's just just try and pull it apart a little bit. And in one sense, lots of, you know, what do I have? Seven principles. None of them. I think. I think this book could have been written most. Fifty uh, percent of this book could have been written five hundred years ago, because it's just what does the Bible say? Now, now working it out in twenty-first century culture, that that takes a little more thought. So that's probably the other half in one sense. Um, but yeah. So I want to. Yeah, go for it. I want to. I want to jump into the principles because I do think that although you think they maybe are self-evident, they're absolutely worth. Um, talking about and talking through, because I don't think that they're necessarily self-evident to young men in a culture um, that has been telling them um, it's only okay for women to be masculine. It's not actually okay for, for men to be masculine. And we're just like, it's so crazy and confused. So principle number one is men and women really are different. And then you have in parentheses, but don't exaggerate. So we are of a kind men and male and female we are of a kind humankind but we are different can you can you celebrate that here for a minute yeah absolutely i mean once it's here you you, you go back to creation 
And um, uh, that is not culturally bound. <laughs> uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, that, that's timeless. That's creation, right? And so God clearly makes men and women different. And, and there are differences either pretty explicit in the text in terms of um, what it means. Well, I don't want to drift into the other ones, but uh, in terms of the, the responsibility that uh, Adam is given and Eve is not. Um, men and women are different. And, and that carries through the, the whole Bible. I, one, of the, one of the passages to which, to my surprise, when I was thinking about this, I, I found most useful, which was a surprise to me, actually, was 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul talks about his, his care for the, for the Thessalonians when he was with them. And he says, says a very interesting thing. He says, I was like a father with you, exhorting, and like a mother with you, nurturing. And you think, well, that's interesting. He's quite happy to say, to be a father, that's more of an exhortatory role. To be a mother, it's a bit more of a nurturing role. And yet, I did display both towards you. Um, so there's, there's both something which is inherent to being more male and something inherent to being female. And yet Paul does manifest some elements of both. So that's what I mean by don't exaggerate. Yeah, like, and the, the rest of the book is, is going to pull apart those differences a little bit more. Men and women are different, but don't caricature. So the only person you can call a man is, you know, the six foot five, I don't know, basically looks like Jack Reacher or something like that um, with a Bible under his arm, you know, is the ultra male uh, caricature. You can manifest masculinity in, in different ways and, you know, some guys are more interested in reading books than in chopping down trees. It's okay. It's okay. Don't stereotype is what I'm meaning by that. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, let, let's, let's, can we just, as you put it in your a helpful word, celebrate the fact that God is a good creator. He made men, male and female, to complement, to fit one another. So here in the United States, um, you have maybe some, maybe some surprising, uh, uh, people echoing what you are saying, noting not only the same challenges in the culture, but the same answers. They're not necessarily arriving there um, from an expressly uh, Christian or biblical point of view. There's a guy named Scott Galloway, who is a NYU professor of marketing, um, and he talks about this a lot. Um, and, um, And so I wanted to lift him up in case you weren't familiar with him. Um, and then David Brooks has written about this in the New York Times, The Crisis of Men and Boys. And um, and then we have uh, Senator Josh Hawley here who has a new book on manhood um, and and the manhood that he thinks America needs. I do think this is a conversation that a lot of people are having, and I really appreciate the way you are leading us into the conversation because you unpack these principles of what it means to be a godly man. So we're going to continue our conversation with Matt Fuller. The book is Reclaiming Masculinity. The principles are men and women really are different. Take responsibility. Be ambitious for God. Use your strength to protect. Display thoughtful chivalry. Invest in friendships and raise healthy sons. We're going to talk about how we can make progress in those directions and how we can encourage the young men in our lives to progress in these positive directions as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, 
all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Matt Fuller. The book is Reclaiming Masculinity. How would you finish the sentence, what does it mean to be a man? And how would you finish the sentence, what does it mean to be a godly man? Or to be a godly man means. So we're talking about the principles that Matt outlines in this book and around this uh, larger topic of how stuck and strange and stranded um, young men in particular feel in the Western culture today. Um so maybe take us into another uh, another one of these principles, Matt. We've talked about men and women being different, but not exaggerating those differences, like taking taking them into account, but not not elevating necessarily one over the other. Um, maybe let's talk about um, responsibility. When you look at principle number two, like what help us unpack that from a from a Christian point of view? Sure, thanks, Carmen. The yeah, I mean, Genesis 2 is pretty, it really sets up the scene here in terms of taking responsibility. Um, men and women are, the man is created first. He's given the instruction to uh, protect and keep the garden, work the garden. He's given the command, don't eat from the tree. And um, uh, that is, that. his responsibility is then seen in Genesis 3. He's the one who's held culpable. And then in the New Testament, Romans 5, he's held culpable. Uh, um, similarly, one Timothy two that that responsibility, that leadership role he's had, is uh, is held up there. So it's something that, that goes throughout the scriptures. Um, now, working that out is is I mean, in one sense, that's an easy thing to say. Okay, there, there's a responsibility given to the man in Genesis two, which isn't given to the woman. There's the, the two explicit ways the New Testament, the rest of the Bible, but it, 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 the New Testament works out obviously in marriage. Ephesians 5, the husband is the head of the wife. He is to love her. She is to respect him. There is inequality, and yet there is a difference of role. And um, in case of any doubt, of course, 1 Peter 3, uh, uh, Peter can say explicitly to husbands, you know, treat your wives uh, as co-heirs of eternal life. Um, treat them with understanding. You've got to make sure to understand. So... Uh, I don't want to jump ahead, but he wants us, if you ask me for a really simple one, Carmen, how do I finish the sentence? To be a godly man is to use the strength, leadership, courage that God has given you in the service of others. Mm. Um, and that those last few words, <laughs> that makes it Christian. And when you don't have them, that makes it toxic. Because there is an inherent uh, to man strength. I mean, there's a physicality, okay, on average, men are stronger than women. Not every man is stronger than every woman. The Bible sets up this responsible leadership. Uh, there is a courage that's most to be, meant to be manifested, but it has to be in the service of others. So the reason the toxic masculinity became such a popular thing, something like the Me Too movement, there is power, power in Hollywood or wherever it may be, used in the service of self. There is financial strength, financial muscle, physical muscle used in the service of self. That is not a biblical masculinity. That is sin. <laughs> um, but for a man to use his leadership, say let's take it, just to narrow it down in one example here, that 
within marriage, it is for the service of others. It is for the service of your spouse. It is for the service of your kids. Um, and take a lead gently. Now, 1 Peter 3, but again, you've got to make sure you understand your wife. This is not the domineering husband. I think there have been plenty of Christian marriages where this has been strength used selfishly. I want to do this. Our family's doing this. Um, that's, that's not what the Bible sets up. It's strength, leadership to serve. Jesus is, of course, the model. He's the servant king. Um, so yeah, it's working that out within your own marriage, within the, the to, you know, and I, it's, I'm nervous of overly projecting because different marriages work themselves out in different ways. Different healthy marriages work themselves out in different ways. But there's got to be something. There's got to be some gentle servant leading uh, in a marriage that should be obvious. Uh, you should be able to ask, if you're a bloke, you should be able to ask your spouse, do you, do you feel I, I lead this family? Yeah. Do you think I do so in a kind way, a gentle way, a way that serves you? Yeah. And that's what you want. Um, of course, loads of the times are going to be no. Uh, and you got to, you know, but then, okay, then you've got to sort things out. You've got to address things. Every marriage has those seasons, of course. But gently, yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, absolutely. I think that the role of, of friends is so important here. Maybe just speak to the challenge that m- some men, at least, face in making friends. They feel like right now they don't have a friend. Um, and you talk about you talk about the barriers to this um, being time, exhaustion, pride, and fear. I also, I'm going to put isolation in there and then just sort of this lack of a sense of knowing how to make a friend. Huh. Yeah. I think um, you've got to go for it, I think. There's, there's no substitute. Sometimes you, you, have to, you have to take a little risk, don't you? Like in any relationship, mm, you have to have a little risk. Um, I do think as Christians, we, we have the great resources of friendship. Uh, we know we're sinners and fall short. So we expect that of others. We, we know we've got to forgive other people. Friends let us down just as everyone lets us down from time to time. Uh, but it, the, the, the fact that we're not expecting perfection in others means we should perhaps be able to confess uh, our sin suitably. Um, but you've got to be realistic, I think, in friendships. Uh, I think most, most of us, you know, here I'm 50, just about to turn 50. You, you, you carry two or three guys, or I think most people, friends with you throughout the whole of life. And then you have friends where you move. You move here, you move there. Mm. Uh, you know, circumstances, you change jobs. Um, and you can't be transparent with everyone. But to have a few, to have a few, you know, um, and it helps. It, it, your comment, it helps in with your marriages as well. I mean, I, you're married 24. Four years. The um, I had my best man, or it, who's still important in our lives, I remember from day one saying to my wife, "Hey, look, if, if you ever got any, if you ever think I'm getting something seriously wrong, you go talk to Andy and tell him um, if I'm not listening to you, and he'll mm. come and sort of puff me around the head and say, "Hey, idiot, uh, you need to address this with you. Come on." Um, so yeah, friends can help help you in those settings, but uh, I think you do have to be deliberate. Uh, you do have to be intentional. You know, if you if you want to carry two or three friends with you throughout li- life, you got to speak to them. You got to see them. Um, you got to plan to go on holiday with them. So you can't do that with everyone, but you can do that with two or three. Um, you, can, you can plan that. Uh, 
It's so good. What do you what do you and your friends what do you and your friend or your friends like to do? What would what would we catch you guys doing to have fun? Well, they're, they're d- different friendships. I think some different friendships bring you different things as well. Uh, I have one, fr- you know, one friend. Our families are good friends. Our kids are good friends. So we go on mm. holiday with them a lot, and that that makes life pretty easy. But he and I, you know, once or twice a year, we'll just take a little rucksack, take a tarpaulin, and uh, go and camp out for a night, or if it's pleasant too, um, and we just walk and chew the card and um, catch up on everything. That's uh, so good. He and I both particularly useless on the phone we grunt at what we're sort of the caricature of a man how are you all right how are you all right how are things pretty good okay see you soon see you then we just can't do the phone but i mean we're useless on the phone so put us on a put us on a pathway oh it's fine we'll go for 36 hours and sort of jabber away non-stop um that's, you know, i'm not saying every bloke is like that but some guys are like that uh another one of my clo- another closest friend my best man we read books and talk about mm. them Mm. Um, we just it's a different friend and others I don't know what we have got in common but whenever I'm with them we just roar with laughter I don't know why probably a bit stupid things things we should have grown out of um, just different friendships are constructed around different things aren't they I think sometimes uh, yeah so I like that no I like that right and and then there are people who um, they're kind of like contextual friends we're friends in a particular context because we're sharing a particular stretch of the road um, you know, in a, in a particular season of life. And I, I appreciate that as well. Like what we have in common, we have in common for a period, but once that commonality, um, is no longer shared, it's okay for us to, uh, you know, to part ways as friends. Um, and so I, I, I just appreciate all of that, um, in, in the way you approach this conversation. Matt, what a delight to begin to get to know you today. Thank you so much for the conversation and for the book. Most welcome. Um, and yeah. it's, it's a really, it's a really sweet thing. You write a book and you think, well, I'm writing it for one audience, and then all of a sudden people contact you, and you get mums from different countries saying, "Hey, I've, you know, we've read this with our teenage son. It's been a real, oh, it's such a joy. It's such a joy. You never know quite where God takes something." Yeah, it's fantastic. All right, that's Matt Fuller. He is the author of Reclaiming Masculinity. You've been listening to Mornings with Carmen. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.